morning. There are thousands of other churches throughout the world that don't have power. They're probably preaching right now without the aid of any kind of a microphone, so you don't have to, uh, don't have to worry. God's in control of all of them. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter, first chapter. We'll be starting verse 3, reading through verse 9. If you're unfamiliar, 2 Peter is towards the end of the New Testament, sort of just after Hebrews. But if you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Second Peter 3, or 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are in control of everything that goes on. You know that nothing that happens is beyond the scope of what you have allowed, Lord. And so as we look back across this past year and think about all of the things that has happened in our lives and in our world, Lord, we know that you have been in control of those. And as we look forward to the next year and think about all the hopes and dreams that we have, we know that again, Father, nothing will happen that you will not allow. And so I just pray right now that you would be with us, pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, help us to hear what it is that you have to speak to us today, Father. I pray that you would move me out of the way, speak through me, Father. Pray that you would give us your words, your words for life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. <coughs> so it's the new year, and you're probably thinking about resolutions or something of the sort. And so I was doing a little bit of reading on the internet, which is a dangerous thing, I know, but was doing a little bit of reading and thinking about what I was going to preach about today, started looking and came across a website that talked about anti-resolutions. And I started thinking about this, and I looked at it, and it made sense to me. And then this website, and I'm sure if you Google New Year's anti-resolutions, you can find it. But the gist of it is that a resolution in and of itself is worthless. Because there's no concrete thing for you to do with a resolution. A resolution like... I'd like to eat 
a very abstract thing. But an anti-resolution, you can actually go to this website and click, and it gives you like five different things. You want to save money, you want to get healthy, you do these things. And you click through, and it gives you actual concrete suggestions like, I will take an apple and eat an apple instead of chips with my lunch. Or I'll skip the Big Mac and maybe eat a salad. These are concrete things. And so this is the idea of an anti-resolution. So, of course, I'm assuming that as good Christians, all of you have resolved to be more spiritual in the new year, in 2012, to make this the year that you finally turn things around. This is the year that you're going to have your quiet time every day. This is the year that you're going to put it all together and be super Christian. Well, I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, that probably this year will be just like every other year in the past. However, I am going to give you some concrete steps that you can take that maybe will help you to enlarge your conversion. And it sounds like a funny term, but we'll look at it and we'll see in this diagram that may be helpful for you, it may not be. But Peter lays it out here very clearly. And he shows us what concrete changes we can make to make our faith more effective. So in this passage, he starts out and it's a pretty self-explanatory passage. I mean, there's not really a lot for me here to do. I mean, essentially, I could read that passage, sit down, and everybody would say, well, I've got a pretty good idea. I mean, it, it's very clear there's not really much complicated. So I think I'm going to do just a little bit of unpacking here. Just a little bit of helping us elaborate a little more fully and less explaining. So begin with God's divine power. He says his divine power, and he's speaking about God, and he says God's divine power, and he says, through Jesus, given to us through Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, who has called us by his own glory and his own goodness. Now that's, I don't know, good news for me. I, I assume it's good news for you, because I assume you're probably like me, and you are a beat-up, gnarly old sinner who does horrible and awful things that they wish that they didn't do all the time. And thankfully, as we see here, God has called us, through Jesus, by His own glory and goodness, not by our own. So it doesn't have anything to do with us. So let me take the onus off of you and say it doesn't really have much to do with you. It's because God loves us that he reaches out and has called us. Not because of how good we are, because we all know that we are not that good. So it's, we are called by God's power, given to us through Jesus, who also gave us promises. Now Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit. And he said multiple times in the Gospels, I will leave, but another will come. And so it's God's power that has been given to us through Jesus, who has called us by his goodness. And he has given us the promised Holy Spirit, which will allow us to then accomplish these things that we want to. The Holy Spirit indwells us, which means that he comes and he takes up residency inside of us, and therefore gives us the ability to be able to grow spiritually. It gives us the opportunity to be able to do things that within our own power would be impossible. So, 
What are some of these things? Well, he says, he gives us all we need. I want to stop here for a second and recognize this, while we are involved, is God doing all the work. The way that I think about it is, if I want to go from here to my house, I will go, I will get in my car, and I will turn the key. The car is providing all the power. The car will do through some sort of mechanical thing that I don't clearly understand to explain to you well enough, but the gas goes in and it explodes and it makes things and it comes out and the car goes and it works. Most of the time. <laughs> if it works at all, it's supposed to. But the car has the power and the car accomplishes that. However, while I'm in the car, I'm not a passive participant. If I were to start my car and just sit in it, that is what would happen. I would just sit there. I'm an active participant. I'm not providing any power. We don't push a car that's running because the power is already supplied. The power is already there. You don't have to push it because it's already running. You are an active participant, however. And so, in the same way, God has given us all the power that we need, but yet we still have to participate. We still make an effort, and we still have to apply all diligence. So, starting in verse 5, he says, For this reason, for all these things that he's lined out, God calling us, the promises of the Holy Spirit, Jesus coming and filling that, and God providing the power, he says, Now, Make every effort to add to your faith. Now, if you're following along in your sermon notes, you'll see that fancy little diagram that I came up with. And at the very bottom, you have a very long block. That's the foundation of everything. It's on which everything stands, everything sits, everything is built, and that is our faith. If we do not have our faith, it is just like building a house with no foundation. It may stand for a little while, it may look okay, but like the old song tells us, when the wise man built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand, when the rains came down and the floods came up, the foolish man's house went splat. There's nothing there. And so we need that foundation of faith, the foundation of faith that is our trust in God. The conversion experience that we had. The turning of ourselves from death, what we were, out horrible, beautiful sinners, to life. Called as children of God to share in the inheritance and the glory of the spiritual life within. So we have this base of faith, and it must be present, because that's to which everything else is predicated on. If we don't have that, we can do all these other things, but they're just things. They don't matter. It's not important. And they don't really work out. We have to have that base of faith. We have to have a relationship with God on which we can build. So, we make every effort to add to our faith goodness. And so the first block that we have is goodness. The idea of goodness that we have is of virtue, of morality, of modesty, of purity. When we think about all of these things, 
things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we watch, the things that we hear. All of these things encompass goodness, virtue, morality, modesty, purity. So we're adding to our faith goodness. Secondly, we then add to our goodness knowledge. We have knowledge, which is understanding, learning, striving, growing. We can accomplish this through Bible study, through reading books that are about spiritual things. It doesn't have to be some deep theological, incredible, mind-blowing thing. It can be something simple. Just reading a devotional every morning. But increasing each day in your knowledge, in your understanding, in your learning of God, trying to grow, striving to grow. Then we add to knowledge self-control, which essentially means that you're not mastered by anything. It means that you don't have anger issues, jealousy, addiction. Certainly there are things that you may struggle with and things that you may work on, but you have a modicum, an amount, a part of self-control that keeps you from just flying off the handle with these things, letting these things all come out, that you are actually allowing God's Spirit to work in you to begin to take some of these things away. Self-control, meaning we're just not mastered by anything, that we have the Holy Spirit working in us to, to accomplish this. Adding to our self-control perseverance which makes us think of determination, resolve endurance which means it doesn't matter what happens you don't quit, you continue and you fight. The spiritual life is a journey that we are on and there's going to be ups and downs that's just the way that it works there are going to be times when you feel like you can charge hell with a water pistol and be fine, and there's nothing wrong. And there are going to be times when you feel like an angel could come say something to me right now to my face, and I would not believe him because I am so mad at God, and I'm so upset, and everything is wrong in my life. And most of it is, most of life is lived in between those two extremes. But there's going to be times when, when we're in those. But we keep going. We persevere. In spite of all circumstances, we keep going, we don't give up, and we seek out people that will encourage us and strengthen us in that respect. Adding to our perseverance, godliness. A reverence of God, a respect towards God, a devotion to God. And usually this looks like some sort of time. I would imagine that each one of us has some sort of thing Sports team, hobby, family member, something that we're devoted to. And usually the way that people know that is through time. You spend time on the internet reading about this. You spend time with this person spending time with them. Godliness. Do we spend time devoted to God? Are we spending time with God? Add to your godliness, brotherly kindness. Compassion, <coughs> concern, care. Thinking about other people, reaching out to them, noticing the hurts around you, noticing the need around you, and then, 
like the parable of the Good Samaritan, not just noticing them, because the three religious leaders that came before the Good Samaritan, they certainly noticed the Samaritan. They noticed him as they stepped over him. Not just noticing him, but caring enough to notice those needs, those hurts, those things, and then to do something about them. Brotherly kindness, compassion, concern, care, reaching out and doing something. And then, finally, adding to it love, affection, benevolence, goodwill. Love is seeking the best for someone. When you love someone, you go out of your way, many times inconveniencing yourself to do something for them. And I'm sure we can all think of someone that we love or something that we love that we've gone out of our way to do something for, something that is nice, seeking the best for that person. Love. So, how do you feel right now? A little overwhelmed? There's a lot there. I understand that. But two things. Where did we start? God supplies the power. We're active participants, yes. But certainly, this is not, this is a huge list, I recognize this. And we are not going to accomplish this in our own power. We have to pray and ask God to help us. So that's the first thing. God supplies the power. <laughs> Secondly, do you see the little word? Make every effort to add. It's a key word there. And there's a word that is used in the New Testament mainly to describe God's actions and not our own. And when you go and you look, the connotation is more of supplying than it is of grabbing and bringing. It's supplying. When you supply something to somebody, you're giving it to them. And so, our job is to be diligent participants. We get to participate with God in developing these characteristics in our life as we seek to grow spiritually. So, this is what I propose as your spiritual anti-resolution. Take these things, think about them, and then look at this quote from E. Stanley Jones, a missionary who spent his whole life back and forth teaching people, both in India and in England. He says, Sit down every day and go over these seven things and ask yourself if you are adding them to your basic faith. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Check up to see whether you are growing up or down in each of these qualities, especially the last one. All growth in Christian living is a growth in love. You may add the other six to your faith, but if you don't add love, then you are going down as a Christian. Enlarge the area of your conversion, taking in fresh territory every day. Will you enlarge the area of your conversion this year? Will you make this your spiritual anti-resolution? 
I know it seems impossible, but yet with God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us to participate in the work of changing our lives and growing spiritually. Thank you for the faith that you've given us. Thank you for the way that you grow us. I pray right now, in this new year, as we think about changing our lives and how we want to shape this next year, I pray that you would help us to enlarge the area of our conversion and to grow in these characteristics. In Jesus' name.